Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Not Present, your virtual writing workshop. We're back for another episode, which is quite quick compared to how we usually do them. I think it's been like two in a month almost, I'm not really sure, uh, since the last one. Uh, and as always, I'm here with Christina Kerr. Hello. Hello. Hi, and Louise Hare. Hello. Hi, and of course, we're still in lockdown, so therefore we're still doing this via Zoom. So <laughs> if the quality is a bit funky, but it seems to be quite good. I I've listened to the episode, it seems quite good. Um, so today we're going to do a piece called Saccharin Nights, or no, Saccharin Nights? I, Christina, I you pronounce it. Saccharin Nights. Saccharin Nights. <laughs> Saccharin Nights, which I think is the first time we're going to do a beginning of a novel. The, yeah. the author didn't mention whether it was a novel or not, but it seems to be the beginning of a novel because there's a preamble and there's a big one at the head of, at the head of the page. So therefore we think it's one. So just to make sure, if you want to take part in this show, go to uh, uh, mirroronline.org, so author not present, find this episode and download this the, the original file from this uh, and you can read, read it first. And then later in the episode, we'll do the critique, but make sure you download the file, give it a read and see if you agree with us or not. And you can also send us your opinions on the piece by going by sending your uh, uh, an edited piece, uh, find the file, edit it, send it to authornotpresent at gmail.com um, and we'll pass those on to the author as well. So you can be a part of this. But anyway, before we start, how is everybody? What's everyone up to? How is life? Difficult, it's been a difficult week. It's a difficult week. <laughs> We're recording this on uh, the beginning of March and it's a difficult week for many, many different reasons. Um, uh, not just the global pandemic, which I think most people have just sort of faded into the background. But there's something I did want to discuss. It was an article that came out on the very 1st of March, so that's good, um, by Kazuo Ishiguro uh, from the BBC. And, it, it, and he's warning people and warning authors about self-censoring out of fear and the fear of them being cancelled. Um, this, this idea of cancel culture, which I'm not really sure is a thing. But I did want to bring it up with you two because I, I, I think it's important to discuss as writers what we think we can and cannot write. Now, I, as a white male author, um, have, uh, I think, the biggest lessons to learn from this because my, ex my, my limited experience narrows me to a very few things. And I myself get quite fearful about writing characters of color or character characters that I don't know, uh, like um, gay characters and stuff like that. I, I I find it, I do find it a bit nerve wracking, but it's not because I fear of being canceled or anything like that. It's just, I don't want to get it wrong. Um, right. Yeah, I just don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to make crappy characters. I think that's what it is. And, and that, that, that involves research and that involves getting on board with things, but you know, that sometimes that's difficult. How do you know you've got it right? How do you know you've got it wrong? Christina, what do, what do you, what do, you've read the article. What did you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a really interesting point and it's obviously one that forms the basis of so many writing group discussions and mm. discussions amongst writers generally um, at the moment. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think that it's something that we've talked about, I think, in the past, even on this podcast potentially, but cancel culture is a very... Um, it's a very misleading term. You know, it's not the fact that people are being simply annihilated or removed or, or immediately losing power or influence because they're being held to account. They're being critiqued. And we just happen to have like more ways of critiquing people in a public manner nowadays. We've got Twitter, we've got whatever. We have different forums in which people can be held to account and be engaged with. And authors are responded to on those platforms. And I just think that's 
like that's just how critique has evolved. And so saying that you're being cancelled because someone is either not, I don't know, responding to you publicly or writing an article about you or whatever, I mean, that's just, that, that's a false parallel. People have always been critiqued for what they write. Um, it's just that now we're trying to make a shift in terms of what we understand the culture to be and what a good portrayal of particular cultural uh, nuances is. And I think this all comes back to the fact that for a long time we have assumed that white, male, straight, you know, is the neutral position. And therefore anything that is not those things is different and needs to be um, described or differentiated. And, and now we're trying to rethink that. It's not the neutral position. Um, so that means that we have to do a little bit more work. As you said, we have to do the research, we have to think, um, we have to be empathic. Uh, and we can't just simply throw out stereotypes of certain groups of people or certain kinds of experiences and say, hey, that's great writing. It's not anymore. We, we, there's a different standard now. Standards change. And that's just how the, the conversation has moved on. Yeah. Louise, what do you think? What You've read the article. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it, I agree, you know, very much with what Christina was saying. Um, I think we're just lacking that that element of common sense I think um and I think as a writer when you sit down to I guess tell a story or you get this idea that sort of strikes you and you fall in love with it um you know if you're writing from the point of view of someone who comes from a different culture to yourself um why you know what is it that makes you want to tell it from that point of view mm. I think is the first question um and you know sometimes you read some things that are so wrong and you think this person can't possibly know anyone from that culture they can't possibly know you know what this person would have gone through because it feels sometimes you can just tell it's you know a white person trying to imagine and getting it wrong because they just haven't lived that life and they probably don't even have any friends they could have given it to because I think you know the are tools at your disposal as a writer you know if you have a wide circle of friends from different cultures then it's easy you just go Hi, friend, please, I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> Make sure that I haven't made a complete and it's a fool of myself. So there are things that you can do. But I think the number one is always, why do you want to tell this story from this point of view? What, what can you bring to this? You know, why is it so important? And if the answer is, oh, I just thought it would be kind of cool, then, it, you know, you're probably just setting yourself up because it's going to be a lot of work mm. to understand a completely different culture, different point of view. Just, you know, even if you think, you know, you might have an idea, you know, it's a matter of trying to put yourself in that person's shoes and walk from childhood. Because sometimes I read black characters that have been written by a white author, and quite often they get it, they get it almost there. And there's just a few things I'm like, yeah, they don't, they just, they kind of don't get that. And sometimes it's fine and it's just, you go through it. Um, and it also depends on, you know, where the publishing industry is. So, for example, some a writer that's cited in that article is Janine Cummins, who wrote mm. And one of the reasons, in fact, I would say the main reason that that particular novel has come in for so much criticism is because the publishers sort of lifted it up as this, this is this book, this is the one book that explains the plight of the Mexican immigrant. And they attach such, you know, 
cultural importance to this book that was written by a white woman about um, a Mexican mother and her son, you know, escaping a cartel. Um, I've read the book, it's fine. It's a great page turner. I think as an outsider, I was a bit, mm, I'm not sure she got that right. I speak a bit of Spanish and there's a few things that I was like, mm, not entirely sure. Um, but if they positioned it as a thriller, I don't think anyone would have had a problem with that. Mm. But when you, you know, overlook a wealth of novels by Mexican authors or, you know, Latina authors based in, in the States writing about their own family's experiences and you overlook that and raise this one book above it, that's when it becomes a problem. Mm. And I think that was why she based that particular criticism. So it's just, I guess it's how we manage um, what our expectations are for authors, um, but also what authors are expecting from their own writing in terms of what they what they can bring to this character that they want to portray that is has lived a life that's nothing like their own. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very true. I, it's just yeah, it just it just seems like those getting critiqued are just lazy. It just seems like a late that there's a laziness to the to the to the writing. They, they don't want to put the effort in in to create characters that are full. And I think you've just proved your point as well, that the, 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 the biggest reason these books fail and they get critiqued is because sometimes they're just not very good. You read them and you're like, this character is so false. I know this character because I've seen it on TV in like the 1980s. I, it, it, this, this, isn't, this isn't a representation of, of, of a person now. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons. I was reading a book recently, I can't remember the name, I, was, I just gave up. But one of the things that I noticed was that all the black characters were described as black. They had they, they described their skin color, but none of the white characters, none of the characters had their skin color described. And I was just like, that I it's so obvious, it's so painfully obvious what's happening here, what the what the author's trying to do, well, but it doesn't actually Yeah. That's exactly the thing anything. about neutrality, isn't it? It's assuming mm. that one perspective is the neutral or universal position. It isn't, mm. you know. And so if you're going to do that story you know, you need to ask yourself some questions, as Louise said, you know, why are you telling it? But also, you know, how are you really going to um, describe that world fully? Because it's our world. And I mean, the thing is, is that we just have access now to more stories. It's not perfect. There is definitely room for more diversity in the things that we read and that we see and hear about. Um, but it means that, you know, for a long time, people have been able to get away with, to an extent, uh, speaking over other groups of people, that's no longer possible. And, and that's no longer possible for good reason. We're trying to open up what is being heard and represented. And so it's just simply not acceptable anymore to try and revert to a to an old-fashioned or stereotypical position. It's just not. People are going to notice. You're not. It's not just going to, like, fly under the radar necessarily. Um so I think that's that's just something that whether whatever you're writing, you need to you need to be cognizant of. And that doesn't mean that you're self-censoring. That just means that you're like trying to make what you're doing as good as possible. That's yeah. what doing art is, surely. <laughs> yeah, you're doing the work. Yeah. I think that's very true, rather than just sort of relying on any biases and prejudice that you have in your head before you start. I don't know. I mean, this is the thing, it's a lot of work to do this. Mm. And a lot of people aren't willing to put the work in. If you are, great, you know, all props to you and you'll probably get it right and you're unlikely to be criticised because you'll have done the work. And I think the problem 
the problem is the people that get criticized are the people that put in a bit of work but maybe just not quite enough or they don't get enough people to read it or they you know they, they're just yeah they, they fall short essentially and if it's not 100% necessary or you're not that wedded to it that it has to be this character it has to be otherwise the whole thing doesn't work then you know why 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 put yourself through it <laughs> <laughs> make it make things easier for yourself but the other thing I was thinking as well, as well is is it good to attempt in the name of representation is it good for all authors to attempt to add characters that are non-white I mean it's nice to have a cast you know I, I applaud a white author who will have a cast that is not just all white mm. But, I mean, you know, if you're writing something set in an office, it's very, you know, it's easy to have a friend or, an, you know, a colleague who isn't and just adds, you know, show, you know, especially if it's set in London, the chance of you working in an all-white office in, like, I don't think I've ever had a job that in London that was just an all-white office. Mm. So, yeah, show, you know, the environment as it, as it should be. Uh, and the chances are that if you live in London, you're very likely to have, friends who are white and so use their experiences chat to people you know that's part of your research is just sitting down with your mates and asking their opinion or asking about their own experiences so you know that that is quite easy I think it's when you want to tell someone else's story and that is the main focus that it then becomes a lot more difficult mm. but, yeah. you know why you know the reason that that became such an issue is because you know, black and brown authors weren't getting published. Mm. You know, they and it's the case that a lot of publishers I feel in the UK are very much more willing to sign up somebody, a, a US author who's got a deal already or their book's been out and been successful than, you know, things are changing. But, you know, if you look at the big, big books that are written by black and brown authors in the last year, most of them, you know, a lot of them are American authors, maybe because there's more of them, I don't know. But, you know, it's still... I think an ongoing battle in the UK is just to get more um, diversity both through the authors, but also in the publishing houses themselves so that people can understand stories. Because I know that I've had like rejections from people going, oh, I like this story, but there's not enough racism in it. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> this, is this? this doesn't seem accurate. And I'm like, You're, how can you tell me that my story isn't accurate when I'm writing about the experience of black people as I see it and I am black and you are not like this, I mean this is kind of what part of the problem is and so Wait, was this a short story or a full novel that you're uh, that was a novel that was a novel and you were told that it wasn't racist enough <laughs> racism, this doesn't seem legitimate <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. wow yeah I mean that's definitely uh yeah that's a tricky one I, I definitely have had things like that not so much um, in terms of race but certainly I, I write a lot of queer characters and I am a queer person so I feel like you know I'm just representing my life as it is um, and like yeah I, I mean I don't know I just think that the difficulty is is like it's back to that kind of new it, it's just that neutrality thing of like you know why should I assume that every single person around me is gonna like adhere to these particular roles or stereotypes and it's interesting that you mentioned the office example because would you guys remember when Dunkirk came out and got a lot of like nominations at like mm. the Academy Awards and stuff people were like well it's just like a film of white dudes fighting a war you know and then the defense of that was well that's that's historically accurate 
like, but it actually is not historically yeah. accurate. It wasn't just white soldiers on the battlefields. There were plenty of other kinds of people. Um, and I just think like that happens a lot where, where maybe sometimes like historical um, saying, oh, well, it's a his- it was historically true can be an easy kind of trying to get out of jail free card in a sense. And it's just like, well, actually, why don't you rethink that? Because there's there have always been queer people. There have always been trans people. There have always been black people. Like those people didn't just start emerging now. <laughs> and then, you know, you can just ignore, I don't know, like, yeah, just <laughs> they just blossomed into being and now you have to deal with that. It's like, no, they've always been there. We've always been around. It's just that now, you know, you can't like literally omit people and think that that's, like representative of life i just feel like common sense is missing Mm. because also it has gone the other way like we've seen uh was it last week in the netherlands with amanda gorman's um poetry book was going to be translated by uh marika lucas reinfeld i don't know if i've spelled if i've pronounced it or their name right sorry i should say um and there was a huge backlash because you know how how can somebody who's um not black and doesn't necessarily identify as a woman translate the poetry of um a young black woman despite the fact that amanda gorman had specifically asked you know specifically you know sought out the trans her translator of choice and then is essentially missing out on being able to choose her own translator mm. and that's kind of just i mean it's just nuts and that's not what we're talking about because you know the, the poetry is already there written by a black woman and you know she's sort of thought about who she would like to translate her words and gone okay this person I think their style I think that they would get what I'm doing and they would be the best person Mm. and then we've had you know this week the Spanish translator he's a guy who's translated you know is a very renowned translator in Spain has sort of just gone well I'm not getting involved in this shit (laughs) (laughs) It as well and you just think who does this penalize it penalizes amanda gorman yeah mm. kind of raise up you're like no she's not asked for any of this she chose her translators and now she's losing the best translators for her own work because again people have gone too far the other way and gone only a black woman can translate a black woman's work and that's just you know mm. that's what I escape from is sort of because the danger with that is you end up with this ghettoization of Mm. black and brown authors getting shoved into a box and then you can only work with these very small this small number of people yeah this is not what we want we want to be able to have the same opportunities as everybody mm. you sent us a great article from your agent and i'll include it in the notes but maybe you could just why why was it that you sent us this article why did you want us to read it well because i thought it was interesting it was published a couple of days ago so this is in the bookseller um which you'll post the link but it's in the blog section if you're just sort of listening to this um so my agent Nell Andrew wrote this um kind of to you know address this Amanda Gorman issue which is that you know we want diversity but we've got to be set it's just basically saying let's be sensible about it you know I have I mean she's um identifies as black as do I we work together my editor is not black my us editor is not black but i don't think that's a problem we all work together and we understand um you know we all work on diverse books so there's not 
any issues. Um, and she was actually saying, so what she's actually saying is sort of the same thing that, you know, if you sort of go into this, oh, a, a black author has to work with a black translator, a black agent, a black editor, like it's to, A, it's not practical, especially in the UK publishing. I mean, <laughs> you would yeah. you, you would never get published because there aren't, there aren't enough black agents and editors out there for every black author to be able to, you know, they'd be pushed off their feet. They'd never get to read any of your work. Um, and it's just having that little bit of common sense and understanding that there are there are white authors who can write from other points of view very well because they put the work in. There are agent white agents that will read the work of a black author and get it because they've got lots of black friends. They might have black people in their family. They might have, you know, all these different experiences. And this is the thing that we love to put people into boxes. And yeah. you cannot understand this other thing. And that isn't the case. And it's not at all what we're saying when we say, you know, just tread carefully. It's just, if you don't know anything about a culture and you then choose to write about it, then you better do a damn good job because it's yeah and fail but if you know unless you put the work in yeah I think that thing of the like putting people into boxes surely at the end of the day that's actually like the the opposite of what we're trying to achieve what we're trying to achieve is empathy between people and and groups and empathy for other experiences that are not ours if everyone can only work with speak to <laughs> look at read people <laughs> from their own groupings where's em- where's empathy in that you know it's the point is we're trying to increase empathy not decrease it and I, I think yeah at, at the end of the day I I agree and it's just I just hope that people can realize that they are able they should be able to especially as creatives we should be able to empathize with other positions and and that means like doing some thinking and having common sense, as you said, Louise, and also doing some work, doing some research, living life. (laughs) (laughs) Which is difficult right now, obviously. We can't all really live lives at the moment, apart from in our little bubbles. Um, But yeah, Yeah. right. Okay. I think that's a good discussion. I I, I think I've learned a lot from it. I hope the listeners have learned a lot from it too. Um, Okay. I think it's time to get on with the critique. You up for that? Let's do it. Let's get on with the critique. Okay, it's time to begin our critique of Sakharan Nights. Sakharan, 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 Sakharan Nights. Oh my God, Peter. <laughs> you know I'm bad at pronouncing names of things. I'm okay. very bad at it. Um, okay. Sakharan, I reckon it's Sakharan. Sakharan. The AR and it reminds you to emphasize. Sakharan. Yeah. yeah, it probably is Sakharan, isn't it? Or is yeah. Sak Aaron? No, it's not gonna be that, is it? Uh, Sakharan, <laughs> I've forgotten again, Sakharan Nights. Um, Okay, so this is the beginning of a novel. Maybe, Christina, you could give us a quick synopsis of what, what happens in this first chapter. Um, sure. So, yeah, I think in this chapter we're sort of introduced to this world, which seems to have a lot of fungi of various kinds, and we are in the perspective of Dagna, who has just lost their father um, and is meeting a trader named Bellion, Uh, and they're doing some things with maps and talking about the world, and uh, that's all I can tell you, really. It's just the (laughs) opening of a much larger fantastical tale, I suppose. Yeah. So I think something I wanted to start off by saying is that 
I I did like the writing. I really did like the writing from all the critiques we're about to give. But I did like the writing. There was something mm. that made me kept on reading, and I did like the idea of the world as well. This mushroom or this city, sorry, because it's the the city of Sakura, Sakara. Oh my god, <laughs> the Sakara. city of Sakara. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is as you said is like covered in mushrooms. There's this pungent mm-hmm. smell in the air everywhere. Um, uh, but yeah, that's something I really enjoyed. Louise, what did you enjoy about the piece? before we get into any critiques? Um, I feel like it has got so much potential. Mm. Like I, I feel like I wanted to see more of this city. I think, you know, a mysterious city, I love. I love that idea and, you know, the idea of maybe escaping or, you know, learning more about who can go in and who can come out. Um, I thought the forward was a really um, lovely tool um, because it's a good way. The great thing with a, fo- a sort of forward um, from like a, you know, a fictional book, um, essentially, what we've got here is that you can basically offload a load of information without it being um, too boring because you kind of sort of, it's sort of an academic forward. So you're kind of expecting to you know, get this information, which makes it acceptable um, in a way that it wouldn't in sort of regular prose. So I really like that devi- device. Um, I do think it's it needs work, but I guess we'll come on to that shortly. Cool. Christina, what did you like about the piece? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's a really rich potential world. Um, and I don't read a lot of fantasy, just straight up, but um, a lot of the ideas seemed really, um, yeah, like just rich with potential for what they could be and what they could mean for people in this living in this place. Um, and yeah, I, there's just so many ideas as well, I think, which is which means that there could be a lot to mine in the story going forward. And given that it is a novel, that's always something good to see. Uh, yeah, I, I think who like they've obviously thought a lot about details in this world and what those details may mean, um, whether or not we understand all of those things and how they come together yet. I will guess we'll talk about that. But um, there's a lot here in terms of what you could draw on and what you could explore. So I think that's a real strength. Yeah. Okay, let's begin our critique. I think the first point we had was about description. Louise, do you want to go first with description? Yeah, because we've got this very sort of intriguing place of the car. From the forward, we know that it's super mysterious, that not many people have been there from outside. Um, we learn that it's dark. We're not sure why. Like is it underground or like what you know what 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 is what is it about this place that's it meant that it is cut off? Mm. Um, so through the descriptions that we're given, it actually throws up a lot more questions. And I think we just need not it doesn't even need a lot. And you could even shove it into the forward because the forward's the ideal place for this sort of you know you know why is this person obviously they they've gone to catalogue the fungi um or whatever but that would be a perfect place for, you know how has this person heard of sakara why how do they know it's got mushrooms you know um, you know to answer those questions um was it difficult to get there what you know what was their first impression we get a stench but what is the stench what you know give us at least one you know does it smell of poo does it smell of <laughs> rotting fungi <laughs> like what kind of what is what is it about the smell that makes it so 
appalling to people that enter from the outside, mm. I guess. So I feel like I feel like the author read something about mushrooms and was so interested by that piece about mushrooms that they started writing about these mushrooms and how they grow, but then failed to bring that interesting piece of information into the story as well. So we just get that, that there's mushrooms everywhere and they stink, but we don't get why they stink and how they stink and what the smell is of. Because I think mushrooms, there's some that give off the smell of like rotting flesh or something, like decaying flesh. It can be like extremely pungent, but that's that we don't get that from the story, as you said, Louise, yeah. Yeah, there's like a mention of putrefaction as an export item, but it's not capitalized. So I'm like, I don't really know what that means. Mm. In, and it's just not it's just not specific enough in some in some of the details it's just not specific enough for me to understand exactly what they're meaning mm. um by that so yeah. yeah for me one of the biggest things was that we were we we're in a city and there's fungi everywhere but i don't know what the city looks like i have no clue what the city looks like whether it's there's towers everywhere whether it's like a warren of streets whether it's more organized whether it's like lanes like an american style street i i don't get that at all and i think there'd be make maybe a color to the buildings what what are the buildings made of is it wood building stone are they made of fungi are they in like giant mushroom houses or something like that you know i hope they don't do that don't do that don't do a smurf thing or whatever <laughs> <laughs> That does that doesn't sound good, but I, I I wanted to know, and also yeah about I I'd love for for the author to clarify, are we underground or is it just for some reason this city is perpetually in the dark? I, like mm. the sun just just does not shine here for some reason. Yeah, we've got yeah. some in this. We've got the forward, which is written by an outsider to Sakara, and then you've also got Bellion, who's the trader that's come to meet our main character. So really, you've got two great tools to sort of show, you know. If we're talking about the fact that, um, you know, Dagna as the main character, a Sakaran can't leave Sakara because of the light will damage his eyes. Then how does Bellion feel coming into this city? Is, is he struggling to see because it's so dim? Like, what are the light levels like? I sort of had all these questions sort of going through of, you know, what is it like to walk into this place? Just in terms of practical, you know, how do you find your way around? Yeah, I mean, I think that's also what you were saying earlier, Louise, in terms of like, how do they get in and out? Or why are they cut off? Because like, just looking back at the forward, it's an ash cloud that's blocked light yeah, from the yeah, sun. So that's, that suggests that it's outside. But then, I don't know, there's something else maybe later on about like the tavern and, and all of that, that makes it feel like it's underground. So and and also then why are there fungi? I don't know. So it has to be quite a dark place but I just think we have maybe not enough information about where it physically is in relation to other places in this world why it's cut off and then we can't actually like physically see how those things operate next to each other I mean and I think that the, the issue with description goes all the way down so it's not just the city but also for me things like the death masks I, I could not see what that meant like I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be looking at a face on a face or something else I don't know I'm not sure 100% I would have loved like just a little bit of description about like some of those details of the actual objects that are peculiar to this world because I think that too would help me understand how that world operates if that makes sense yeah I don't think the author can be too I I, I think they should go overboard with detail I think they should just smother this piece in detail and then pair back <laughs> pair back later in like subsequent edits but you're right. I, I wanted to. I love this detail in 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 this world, 
your forefathers and your foremothers they they're 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 ghosts around you it seems which is very interesting i really like that that idea and dagner it seems is he doesn't know whether he's going to inherit some money and it's up to his dead father and dead grandparents and etc to decide whether he gets that money and they're going to decide for him it seems which is a fantastic detail and i really like that but yeah things like the death mask i i couldn't work out if it was is it covering his whole face, half his face? Like, mm. what? How? How is it? How is it gonna? Hey, how is it? Just <laughs> what does it look like? Um, yeah, just go overboard with the detail and cut back later. I have to say, I, I hope the author um, they should definitely read the book of Collie or Coley, um, which I've finished the first book. I'm on to the second book now because they, they uh, the author M C Carry, I think it is. He creates. He tells you so quickly about the village that Coley lives in and explains why there's a wall around it very quickly and you really understand that they're cut off from everything and the 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 the, the evil is the trees around it anyway the book of coley explains so quickly about why the city is so important and what what it's protecting it from and why people can't come in and people can't come out um that's probably a good reference any other points about description from you two well i'm <laughs> So this counts the description bit. So when we just talk about the death mass, right? And so we learn on the first page of the first chapter, so basically page three. Sorry, I'm saying it's very confusing way. Um, so we know our character's wearing a death mass, right? And they're wearing a, a death mask they don't normally wear. That is sort of explicitly pointed out. And yet Bellion recognises Dagner immediately. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, how? Oh, how? Because you were incognito. You're disguised. <laughs> Um, but why did it fail? It doesn't kind of make sense. Or did, or is it a matter that people take the death mask off when they sit down in a tavern? I, yeah, it was kind of like that process of, also where did Bellion come from? Dagna looks at the door as it opens. It's not it's not Bellion, but then suddenly Bellion's there recognizing him. You're like, where did you come from? Mm. How did you recognize him? It seemed to be like steps missing. Mm. In, there's a bit of, yeah, just a little part of the process missing. I think. And also with the fact that there are these, is it, are they called shades? Yeah, shades, which are the the ghosts. Um, they're not mentioned in the foreword. Oh, yes. Because if you've got these ghosts wandering around, that would be the first thing that <laughs> enters this random city where it's really dark with loads of ghosts. I would have been out screaming. Yeah. Um, so why aren't they mentioned in the foreword? And they're also, they don't appear anywhere. So what I'm, I'm can they actually be seen or not that sort of confuses that yeah and I'm kind of like maybe I would be tempted because you don't need to throw everything into the first chapter you really need to mention what's really relevant so I like the idea of us knowing I think it's really good that we know that he's gonna that he's gonna speak to his father later even though he's dead that's really intriguing mm. I would take the shades out of this chapter and introduce us to that later when you're actually going to show us what it is. Mm. Because it just seems confusing. Like why, why do we know why we're we not seeing them? They're being talked about. But if they're ghosts, why aren't they just randomly here? If I was a ghost, I was falling to like my great great grandson, I would just follow him. <laughs> <laughs> would you? All the what? things he might get up to. Oh. You can't pick anything up, you can't do anything but just annoy people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Especially father, why would the? I mean, you know, if you want to make sure, you know, that you want your son to inherit, definitely you'd be like on their tail. True. Hounding why, them constantly. 
but you know if you can't tell us the rules now save it and tell us the rules later and introduce them properly yeah very true okay right okay we're going to move on to our second point now which is, i think is the main thing that we all came to the conclusion of when we read this piece and that is motivation so uh christina do you want to talk about this yeah i mean i think this for me was the main thing um i would say about this extract is that um being in Dag Dagna's head, I really want to know why Dagna's here, what the purpose of their meeting with Bellion is, and more broadly, you know, what, what the significance of um, those interactions are for the wider novel I'm about to read. So I think for me, it comes in on page six, um, when all of a sudden, Okay, I, I'm going to just try and like see if I've got this straight. You guys can correct me. Maybe I've misread this. But Dagna goes in order to get a map that they've been asking Bellion to make for them. Mm -hmm. They arrive and then they sort of just change their mind. But but they get you, we kind of get this sort of bit of interiority of saying, you know, it um, what, like was it any wonder I'd been haunted for so long by the dream of leaving? And so like leaving this place has been like a really important thing to Dagna for a really long time. And then they're just suddenly like, nope, take back the map. I don't care anymore. Mm. I'm not going. It isn't to be. And I just was like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, I just didn't understand. Like why did they suddenly change their mind like in such a sudden way? And like, it's been set up in this chapter that it's almost like, it's quite risky in some senses for Dagna to even meet Bellion. And so they still go and like take this risk and then abruptly are just like, no, you keep the map. It's no use to me. Um, and I just was like, whoa, <laughs> what? And like, I think it sort of culminates in this last paragraph of the chapter saying, you know, we're, I think it's Bellion saying like, why are you doing this? What's changed? And like, that's a good question because I don't know. Um, and we have this like lovely last sentence of like some dreams don't survive the night, except for the fact that it's always night <laughs> in your in your world. So I'm just curious as like, what's your conception of like what has actually changed? I genuinely am not sure. And it just makes me think, should I keep reading this? Because uh, what I thought was the motivation of the book is not is not the motivation. I don't know. Am I being too prescriptive? What do you guys think? No, I, I totally agree. I was just like, what? Because also, why get him to show you the map? Even if you felt like you should go and give Bellion the money for the work that he had done, you would just go, here's your money. I don't want anything. There would be no conversation in the because you would just go, well, I'm going to leave before the temptation is presented before me. Um, but then also you've got, also on page seven, um, basically Dagna's saying, I know that I'll give in and then have to pay someone else to do this. And you're like, we just spent 16 years. This has been a 16-year quest, apparently, since the brother dies. I'm like, why would you give up a 16-year quest at the last second but then admit to yourself internally that you were going to restart it later down the line? It just kind of doesn't add up. No, it's it's completely, I think one of the biggest problems that the author's facing is, as I think you pointed out, Christina, is that because of what, because the map is no longer important and because we don't know why it's no longer important, we mm. almost don't have a question to ask. Mm. And therefore we have no reason to read the next chapter 
I just feel like the story ends there. It could almost be a short story. He's decided, nope, I don't want this map anymore. I don't want to leave. I'm going to stay. And I, that's, I, I don't think that's a big enough question for, for me to go to the next chapter. Um, mm -hmm. the, the bigger question would be, what, would, what was he going to do with the map? That would be really interesting. Why has he asked Bellion to create this map and what is he going to do with it? But to have Bellion come and then to just dismiss this whole MacGuffin, as it was, this map and this motivation, it just really sort of undercut the whole piece and made me just go, oh, okay, well, I don't know what I'm reading next. I don't know what the purpose of all of this was. Um, it seems to be... Because as you said, uh, Louise, I think one of the biggest things is that he... He has this very long conversation with Bellion. He has like a very long drawn out conversation with him asking about different details about the outside world and stuff like this. And, and it's just like, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. If you're gonna cancel something, that's the first thing you'd say. You'd, you'd sit down and you'd say, right, I don't wanna do this anymore. I've changed my mind. I can't tell you why I've changed my mind. It's a mystery, read on to the next chapter, but I can't do this. Um, yeah, and that doesn't happen. And it, it just, yeah, the motivation is just so unclear, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, also directly after saying, you know, I won't be requiring your services or whatever, we get this little thing. And as you said, Louise, like it's a 16 year quest since the brother's death about the map. But then you have the sentence, I had known ever since my brother's death that I could never leave. So what have you been doing all this time? time with this quest if you knew that you couldn't leave so I'm I, yeah I just I'm not quite sure I understand mm. um like what the character's inherent motivation is and I think maybe I don't know maybe this is a question of like if you're balancing like world building and trying to get all the details in of the world with actually giving us a character through which to see that world if you know what I mean like I yeah I think that that might be maybe the, the problem is just balancing those things slightly more and as Louise suggested I think that's a really good suggestion to withhold the shades detail maybe and just give us more of like why are we following this particular perspective what's motivating this particular person such that we will keep reading and discovering more about this world mm -hmm. because you don't have to introduce every single bit of it in this first chapter I would personally prefer if you told me more about Dagner's motivations and why we're here and then you can show me other things as we as we move along once I'm invested in Dagna yeah I think from... sorry Louise, go on. like you want to leave but to go where like what what is the end quest it can't just be to walk outside the city because you can just do that and then walk back in before daybreak also why not invent sunglasses <laughs> and then go to sleep when it's daylight and, and walk at night there's so many things that extra questions that it sort of threw up um, and I just but even if even if it wasn't oh I don't want to do this anymore there was there were still questions that I needed answered regardless yeah. I'm like where do you actually want to go to you can't just leave in the city enough it needs to be you know it needs to be a reason why you want to get out of here because if you're a Sakaran you're used to the smell so that doesn't bother you you're used to it being night and if you went out today like you go blind anyway what why do you hate it so much mm. i think yeah i think a really interesting thing for this first chapter if they did want to keep this sort of idea of bellion and the map would be that um dagna does want to leave 
and that's his motivation. So he he's had this map created so that he can leave, um, but he has to keep this map hidden. You know, he has to keep it hidden from his the shades from his forefathers. And maybe there's an interesting way the writer can have this map keep, be kept from his dead ghost of a father that's following him around and his dead. Uh, you know. Then, that, then that's interesting. And then there's intrigue. Why is he lying? Why is he going to keep us? What, what's, what's the, there's tension. And then there's um, suspense there as well of, of, of Dagna trying to hide this, this object that will mean that he won't get his inheritance from his, the, the, the ghost of his father. That's, that's interesting. I want to read, I want to read on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but as this is, it's like, I, I just don't know what I'm reading on for. I just yeah. don't know. I, what I'm reading on for now is to find the thing that I'm reading on for. <laughs> and I don't think you can do that in a first chapter. You can't have that. You can't have the reader still waiting to ask the first question. I mean, I think another suggestion maybe is that possibly all of it made sense until the father died, like all the leaving and all of this. And so now that the father's died, that's changed things. Yeah. But if that's the case, I would restructure this such that the father's death comes later in the chapter or or something like that because i think the problem is is that if you're saying that the father's death has what's changed the relationship with the um the sort of legacy of the family and all of this then dagna's known that for a week so that brings us back to what louise said of like you're not going to come in there and be like hey let's have this chat and now i've changed my mind you've known that the father's been dead for a week so you've known that the legacy and the inheritance has changed for a week. You've had a week to process what that means. You would come in guns blazing, being like, Bellion, sorry, my father's died. That's changed everything. Mm. So I just think like either reorder those things or, yeah, have a think about what the other motivation could be. Yeah. Maybe he's just come. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be good if he just learned that his father had died. Right. Uh, yeah. That would make more sense then because it's like, oh, well, we're supposed to have this meeting, but now this has happened and I'm processing that as we're talking. And actually that means I can't have the map anymore and I'm not going anywhere. Also the thing about the map was that it seems that he, he acknowledges because Dagner is someone powerful in the city. We're not sure why he's powerful or how he has his power, but he's powerful in the city. And he says that this map could be useful for everyone in the city. It can be useful for trade lines and, and to get, you know, merchants in and out. Um, So to dismiss that as well, to dismiss that aspect, and there already are odd. merchants coming in and out. And there already are merchants coming <laughs> Yeah, it just, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Where did Belion come from to, to be able to leave and go and leave and go? and Oh, no, because he's, he's mapping out where there's dark spots, isn't he? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think he was mapping out where there's dark spots that the character that the the Sakarans can there Sakarans rah, can um can yeah. go. It's it's mm, it's difficult. It's difficult because I want to know why. Because I get the feeling that Black and the shouldn't leave, and that there's an almost either there's a rule or there's an unspoken rule about not leaving. Mm. We're never actually explicitly told that. That's something that could really go in the forward, if you know that expositional bit of you know it's kind of not allowed to leave, or uh, so people thought I was weird, da, 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 something like that. Um, because otherwise, it just I was like trying to work it out, and mm-hmm. it, if he's trying to do it the benefit of all Saharans, then also if he's in power, then surely he can change 
It was because there were lots of hints in this that Dagner's, you know, quite wealthy. Um, even some bits that probably should be re-looked at. So there's a bit on the foot on three where there's a reference to the newness of Dagner's outfit. And I'm like, oh, you're not a novice at this, Dagner. You've been doing it for 16 years. You would have surely had some old clothes by now that you would go into the tavern with. But that, I felt that that was there specifically to show that Dagna is wealthy, wealthier than these people. Mm. Um, there's a few little bits like that that I felt were just there for information but didn't actually make sense. Yeah. Another think, bit mm. with the knives, which are uncared un- for, but then you're like, Rebellion as a merchant would need the knives for protection, so he would care for them. That doesn't make sense. Like, his knives fall into different pen. What's he protecting himself from? That's something I'd like to know as well. Are there fungal monsters that attack? Is is it just pirates? Is it just bandits? What? 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 Why would he need the knives to protect himself? Bellion. Yeah. Yeah. The reason that anyone walking around in the you know middle of nowhere might get attacked. But we don't know that this that it's that sort of world. Maybe everyone's super friendly on this world. And why have you got the knives in the first place? If you've got knives in your belt, you're intending to use them and have access yeah. quickly. So therefore it follows that you would look after them. Yeah. Otherwise, if you didn't need the knives, you wouldn't, you know, you might have a knife in the back of the bottom of your backpack. Hmm. You're gonna need quick access to it. Yeah. yeah, also rebellion. He needs to do other things than scowl. He does quite a bit of scowling. And scowl. I think there could be other ways to describe him, either physically or his reactions, that maybe diversify our image of Bellion a little bit. Yeah. I did like him though. I did like the character. Yeah. I love the name character. as well. The lion, Billion, Billion. Billion. I, lo- I really like that name. <laughs> However you say it. <laughs> Look, I just want simple names from now on in these books. I want James. I could pronounce that. That's easy. That's how it should be. Going back to our previous conversation, let's just oh, keep everything simple. <laughs> ben, Mark, simple names. Come oh on. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, please don't do that. I love the name Billion. I, th- Bill- I think that's great. Okay, right. I think we're going to stop there. I think that's enough. So our, our main two points would be, let's just flood this with description. I want like a paragraph on every object. And then once you've done that, pair it back. And, no, and we can... I just want specificity. Specificity. There's quite a lot that tells me nothing. I want you to be specific mm. about the scent, what things look like, how the hell Bellion gets to Dagna and how he realises it's Dagna when he's got in the prize. Those are the things that I want just little details of, but don't yeah. because I think then it will get less specific. Okay. All right. Well, listen to Louise. She she's published author. I'm not. So listen to <laughs> listen to her. Uh, and the second one is motivation. Uh, he he can't. We just. I think we're in agreement that he just can't give away this map in the turn of that moment. It it, it just it, it destroys and undercuts the sort of flow that we were getting. This nice flow about oh, there's this map he's been building for 16 years. This is so exciting. Or if you want to get rid of the map, if you want him to do it, then he needs to come in like a bull and be like, I can't do this anymore. You know, hurry. Like He's harried. He's he's angry. He's scared or something. But he has to give away this like 16 year project and all that money he probably spent on it as well. But he mm. has to give it away. And, you know, it's an addiction. He's addicted to this thing. And yet he doesn't seem very 
agitated. He doesn't seem sad at all. He just seems quite resigned. And resigned is a bit boring, I think, in, in for this. So give us a reason to go to the next chapter. What is the what is the question that we're trying to answer? Um, and don't be too vague because I think everything, some dreams don't survive the night is too vague, I think. Although I quite like it because the night is the city and no dream survives the city. I quite like I it. As long as there was an explanation that built up to that, like, you know, that life in the city is terrible and it's always terrible for everybody. And, but it doesn't seem terrible. It seems quite, I don't know. I think we're just left with a lot of questions. I think that's it. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think we're going to stop there. Well done, everybody. That was a good critique. <laughs> was it? I hope so. Awesome. Right. Okay. Thank you very much for coming to do this again, uh, Christina and Louise. I had a great time and I learned a lot of, in this session, um, especially about self-censoring when it comes to writing. Um, I think that was really interesting. So thank you for that. Uh, I don't think there's much to promote this time, apart from buy Louise's book, obviously, which we promote every... <laughs> <laughs> Where can people get it, Louise? Where's the best place to get it? Everywhere. Obviously, the best is your local independent bookshop. Ah. Uh, or bookshop.org or Waterstones or there is another fairly famous website named after a river that you the Nile the Nile dot com go to the <laughs> Nile dot com <laughs> the Thames dot com uh, one of those big ones or dot code at UK sorry yeah awesome uh, obviously go to mirrorline.org and read all the fabulous pieces that we have on there because there's some really good pieces being published recently including uh, yeah just some really good stuff uh, I'm not going to say including because I'll have to name authors and I don't want to say that one is better than the other they're all fantastic and been beautifully edited um, cool well we'll see you next time for another episode of Author Not Present if you want to take part the, uh, the submission form is now live and you can do it and we have a we've had a, a few more submissions guys so we're going to have to get some reading going but go to uh, mirrorline.org slash author not present and you can sign up uh, read the listen to the podcast read the pieces before you uh, um, listen obviously and you can uh, submit a piece to be critiqued by us cool all right we'll see you next time bye